Well, good morning. And it's so good to be back at Sunlight to worship with you and to study God's Word with you. And this morning, I uh, want to begin with a little story about a lady who was walking along the beach one day, and she uh, found a bottle lying in the sand. And so she rubbed the bottle, and out popped a genie of all things. And the genie said, you have just one wish. And the lady goes, I thought we got three wishes. I'm sorry, she said, but these are hard times, and I can only grant one wish. And so the woman said, okay, and she pulled out a world map, and she pointed to a couple countries, and she says, I wish, I wish that these two countries would no longer fight with each other. And the genie goes, lady, I'm sorry, but uh, those nations have been fighting for over a thousand years, and besides that, I'm not a very powerful genie. You're going to, ask for, you're going to have to ask for something else. And so she said, okay, I wish for a sweet, caring man who loves to help wash dishes and clean the house and never watches football. And the genie said, let me see that map again. (laughs) Listen to me. If God promised to give you one thing you prayed for, what would you ask him to give you? If God asked you, If God promised to give you one thing you prayed for, what would you ask him for? Would you ask him for perfect health for you and your family? Would you ask God to allow you to live till you're 100 years old? Or would you gravitate towards more material things, such as enough money to live comfortably for the rest of your life or maybe move into a new home? What would you ask God for? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 3, God actually gave a very young king, King Solomon, this very opportunity. God said he would give him whatever he asked for. And do you know what King Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. Because look at what these verses say. Let's bring them up on the screen. From 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 13. It says that Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, For who is able to govern this, your great people? And so do you see it? King Solomon asked for what? He asked for wisdom. But here's the deal. God not only gave him wisdom, but God gave him even much more. Because look at these next few verses. Verses 10 to 13 of that same chapter. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this 
and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or a life or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you in all your days. And so it's amazing. God gave King Solomon exactly what he asked for. It says here he got a wise and discerning mind. He got wisdom. And wisdom, listen to me, is something that God wants to give to every person here today. You've just got to ask for it. Listen to what this verse says in James chapter 1 verse 5. It says, if any of you lack, lacks wisdom. Anybody here lack wisdom this morning? I sure do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. King Solomon is an Old Testament example of this New Testament principle. It says in the New Testament, if we pray and ask for wisdom, God will give it to us generously. And according to 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 31, and we'll bring those up, King Solomon, listen to this, became the wisest man on the face of planet Earth. Look what it says in these verses. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Hermon and Calico and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. And so God answered Solomon's prayer, didn't he? He made him the wisest man on earth. And you know what? Solomon shared some of that wisdom God gave him in Proverbs and Songs. Because look at this next verse from 1 Kings. It says, He also spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. And fortunately for us, under the guidance of God the Holy Spirit, he wrote many of those 3,000 Proverbs down in a book called the Book of Proverbs. Because look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And I want to invite you now to turn with me to that passage in your Bible. One of the things I fear whenever I put Scripture up on the PowerPoint is that you will fail to use your Bible along with me. And I don't want that to happen here. And so please open them, your app or your Bible, to Proverbs chapter 1. And in these verses, Solomon clearly identifies himself 
as the author of this book and also introduces us to the theme. This is actually the longest title of an Old Testament book. Just a little trivia for you this morning. But look what it says. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And so, verse 1 gives us the author of this book. Write it down, King Solomon. And verse 2, verses 2, or verses 3 through 6, tell us the theme of this book. Actually, if you look closely at verses 2 through 6, there are five purpose statements listed there. Why did Solomon write this book? So that you and I would know, verse 2, wisdom and instruction. Also in verse 2, that you and I would understand words of insight. In verse 3, he wrote this to receive instruction in wise dealings. In verse 4, to give prudence or foresight to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. And in verse 6, he wrote this book to understand a proverb and the words of the wise and the riddles. And so it's pretty clear, isn't it? The theme of the book of Proverbs is wisdom. But we need to ask this question this morning. What in the world is wisdom? Well, let me give you a couple definitions, and you can jot these down in your notes. Wisdom, number one, is the ability to discern or decide what is right, true, and lasting. Wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, true, and lasting. Or a good second definition would be wisdom is the ability to make good decisions and act on them. You see, wisdom in the Bible is different than knowledge. A lot of us have knowledge, but maybe not wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts and information. Wisdom, on the other hand, is the proper application to life of that knowledge. You see, here's the thing. Knowledge, knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. For instance, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. But wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it in your holster. Knowledge is the awareness that the surface of a stove is hot, but wisdom is not touching it. Knowledge understands that a traffic light has turned red. Wisdom applies the brakes. Are you with me on this this morning? Knowledge sees the quicksand. Wisdom walks around it. And on a more spiritual level, let's say it like this. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. How many of you ever memorized the Ten Commandments? Some of us, right? Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom 
obeys them. Knowledge learns about God. Wisdom loves and obeys God. And so, biblically speaking, knowledge is what we gather over time through the study of the scriptures, but wisdom acts properly upon that biblical knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of Bible knowledge. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated wise or wisdom in the book of Proverbs is an interesting word. It's the Hebrew word chokama. And it was a term used to describe the skill, the skill of a craftsman, builder, sailor, or musician. These are all people who possess great knowledge about their particular craft or trade, but they also know how to go to work and apply that knowledge skillfully. And so biblically speaking, someone who has godly wisdom has a knowledge of the Word of God, but maybe more importantly, also knows how to skillfully apply that knowledge to his or her everyday life. Are you wise? Are you wise? King Solomon was wise, the wisest man on earth. And he decided to communicate all this wisdom that God had imparted to him through something called Proverbs. So we need to also ask this beginning question in this series, what is a proverb? Well, let me give you three definitions. A proverb is a short, pithy. When's the last time you heard that word? Pithy. That means concise but meaty. A proverb is a short, pithy saying that speaks to our lives and our choices. Or to say it another way, a proverb is a pithy statement or object lesson that helps the reader choose a wise course of action. And I like this definition also. A proverb is a short sentence founded upon long life experience. And that third definition is certainly true for what we read in Proverbs 26, verse 17. Look at this verse. Look what King Solomon wrote. In Proverbs 26, 17, he says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, don't you think he learned that through experience? I do. I mean, that's a big mistake to grab a dog by the ears when he's passing by. He's liable to turn around and bite you, right? And it's a big mistake to get involved in an argument that doesn't involve you. And God taught King Solomon that proverb through experience. And so the book of Proverbs is all about becoming a more wise guy or gal. Are you a wise guy or gal? Proverbs was written so that you and I can become wise people who will be more disciplined and able to do what is right, true, and lasting. In other words, the aim of this book is to help us acquire and apply God's wisdom to the decisions and the activities of our daily lives. And in the process, listen to this, grow in Christ-likeness and holiness. And that's something I want for my life, don't you? 
And over the next few weeks, we are going to learn, hopefully, how to be more wise in our speech, family relationships, at work, and with our money. Are you up for this series? Those are some of the things we're going to talk about. But today, we're going to focus on our most important relationship, which is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to learn how to become more wise in our walk with God. And King Solomon has two bits of advice for us today. And the first is this. Are you listening? Fear God more. Fear God more. You weren't probably expecting that, were you? I mean, when's the last time you heard a sermon on the fear of God? Probably not in a while. We'd rather talk about a loving God, loving God, not fearing God, right? But I don't know if you knew this, but we are instructed over 300 times in the Bible to fear God. And right here in the book of Proverbs, King Solomon challenges us over and over and over to fear God more. Chapter 1, verse 7, look at it. Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And over in chapter 9, verse 10, turn with me to that. Look what it says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, in the Bible, the word translated fear can mean several things, actually. Number one, it, it, can, it can refer to terror, the terror one feels in a frightening situation. Number two, it can mean respect in the way a servant fears his master and serves him faithfully. Or number three, it can also mean the reverence and awe a person feels in the presence of greatness. Actually, the fear of the Lord is a combination of all those definitions. It can mean, number one, a feeling of awe and reverence for God. I don't know if you've heard about this recently, but there has been a walkway built out over into the Grand Canyon. Anybody hear about that or been on that? I have not, but even though I'm afraid of heights, I want to do this. But they've built this walkway out across the Grand Canyon. It goes out 70 feet. That's a quarter of a football field. And it's right over the Colorado River. Can you imagine the view from that walkway? It's actually 4,000 feet above the bottom of the Grand Canyon. That's higher than any tall building in the world. Can you imagine the beauty and the awe that you would feel out on that walkway? Well, such is the awe we should have for God. While man created a way to enjoy the beauty of the Grand Canyon, listen to me, 
God created the Grand Canyon. Are you with me, church? Every beautiful sunrise and sunset is created by our God. The flowers we're enjoying right now are His beauty. Just glancing at the sky at night and seeing the endless universe should astound us and lead us to worshiping God. Our God is a big, big God. Amen? When's the last time you feared Him? When's the last time you had this feeling of awe and reverence and respect for Him? Actually, this must have what have been on the mind of the psalmist or what he was feeling when he wrote these words in Psalm 89. He said, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord God, greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him? So to fear God is a feeling of awe and reverence to Him. But it's also, are you listening, church? A feeling of dread and terror sometimes. And this ought to be especially true when we have sinned and haven't yet owned up to that sin and confessed it to Him. This is the fear of God's discipline. This is the fear of God's discipline for the unconfessed sins in our life. This is what Adam felt when he had eaten of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember that story? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, it says that after Adam and Eve sinned and God drew near, Adam hid himself, hid himself from the presence of God. And when God confronted him, this is what he said in verse 10. God, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now, I'm sure that what Adam felt at that moment was much more than awe and reverence for God, don't you think? I mean, he was stone cold afraid. Exactly as he should have been. God had warned him that if he would eat of the forbidden tree, he would die. And he had done that. And now God was looking for him. Now listen to me. There are many Christians today who seem to think that because of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to be our Savior, that we have eliminated the need for any fear of God. Those who adopt this mindset often describe Jesus as a gentle, compassionate, and loving person, as he was and as he is, amen? But he is more. He is the fearsome Jesus who took a whip and single-handedly drove the money changers out of the temple. You can be sure those men felt fear that day. On dread, listen to me, our natural responses to the imperfect, of the imperfect to the perfect, of the marred to the beautiful, of the contaminated to the pure. And when Jesus walked into the temple that day, they were not afraid of him because he had a whip in his hands. They were afraid of him because they were in the very presence of God who saw their sin. 
and was about to discipline them if they wouldn't repent. When's the last time you feared God? There are great benefits to fearing God. Our time is getting away from us here, and I thought this sermon was way too long. (laughs) But let me just run through these. We're going to list them on the PowerPoint. Number one, fearing the Lord will give you wisdom. We've already seen that in Proverbs, haven't we? Proverbs 1 and Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Here's a second benefit. Fearing the Lord will keep you from sin. Exodus 20, 20 says, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. You know, if you are in a car and the traffic in front of you suddenly pulls up, you want to be sure your brakes are in good order, right? Good brakes keep you from a disaster. The fear of the Lord is our break against sin. Are you with me on this today? Here's a third benefit. Fearing the Lord will motivate you to evangelize. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. That's Paul writing. He's saying, we've seen the holy fire. we felt the weight of judgment that is to come. And that's why we turn to Jesus. And now that's why we're telling others about him. Number four, fearing the Lord will elevate your worship. And number five, fearing the Lord will make you, listen to this, more like Jesus. Have you ever thought about Jesus when he was here on earth fearing God the Father? Well, listen to what Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. He says, listen to these words about him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of knowledge and of fear, the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. To fear the Lord is to be like Jesus when he was here on earth. And fearing the Lord, one last thing, will deliver you from all other fears. Did you know that? Fear casts out fear. Did you hear that this morning? The fear of God Cast out all other fears. Listen to what Psalm 112 says. It says, blessed is the man or the woman who fears the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. So we need to fear God more. One other bit of wisdom from King Solomon that has to do with our most important relationship with God himself, and it would be this, to trust him more. To trust him more. And we learn this from some very familiar verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. How many of you have ever memorized those verses? Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. How many would say, that's, that's my favorite verse in the, first verses in the Bible? Or those are my life verses? Anyone here this morning? Well, let's, let's read those together, can we? Trust in the Lord. I'm not hearing you. <laughs> let's do it again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, in those two verses, King Solomon helps us understand what it truly means to trust in the Lord. He says, number one, our trust ought to be in God himself and nothing else. It's not trusting in your own feelings of faith. 
It's trusting in him. It's trusting in the God who created the universe. It's trusting the God who revealed himself in the Bible. It's trusting in God who took on human flesh and entered into this world to save our souls. It's trusting in the God who by the Holy Spirit lives in your heart if you are a Christian today. It's trusting in God. Trusting in God's character. Trusting in God's word. Trusting in God's promises. Trusting that God will do, not just do things for other people, but do great and mighty things for you as you trust him. So we're to trust in God. But then it goes on to say this trust needs to be a wholehearted commitment. Do you see it in that verse? We're to trust God how? With all our what? Heart. That means we're to trust him with every part of our being. You do that. There's a lot of people who sort of trust in the Lord. Are you one of them? Oh, you'll try Jesus for a little while. And then when you get tired of it or he doesn't maybe come through in the air you want him to come through, say, I'm done with it till the next time. But no, we are to trust God all the time with every part of our being. We're to submit completely to him, fully to him. And then this life of trust, if you read on in this verse, you learn that it will kill your self-reliance. It says, and do not lean on your own understanding. I mean, this is what makes the life of faith so difficult for our flesh, right? Because we think we know better than God sometimes. Oh, you're okay with giving God these areas of your life, but this area of life over here, I'm going to run this part of my life, and I'm going to tell God how to do it, and he better do it that way, right? But that's not how it works. That's leaning on my own understanding over there. Over here, I'm leaning on God. And if we are trusting God wholeheartedly, We won't lean on our own understandings. We'll just let him handle it all. And it just, as this verse concludes, it just kind of covers everything. Honestly, this trust that he's asking for, he says, he concludes this verse by saying, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understandings over here, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Now, what does it mean to acknowledge him? Well, it means bringing God into the picture of whatever you're going through right now. Whatever the decision, whatever the crisis, whatever has erupted, whatever the opportunity that has been presented to you, whatever the need, whatever the problem, whatever the burden, you say, what does God say about this in his word? What is God's will for me in this situation? And not only do you ask those questions, but you pray about it. And you ask God for help. You ask God for guidance. And not only do you pray for yourself, but church, you ought to be praying for each other in this area. That God would lead you and show you the way. And the result of a life of trust is that it will be rewarded. The verse ends, he will make your path straight. He will make your path straight. It's a specific promise for those who wholeheartedly trust in the Lord with everything.
really let God be their God in their lives. Commit it all to him continually. The promise is he will make your path straight. In other words, God's not going to run you around in circles of futility. But God will lead you providentially in purposeful, wise ways that will be good for you and glorifying to him. And that's something I want for my life. So Solomon has taught us this morning how to be more wise in our most important relationship, our relationship with God. And he encouraged us to do two things, just to fear him more and to trust him more. Are you willing to do that this week? To fear God more and to trust God more. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you especially for these wise words from King Solomon. Thank you for teaching us, Lord, today how to walk with you. Thank you for teaching us today, Lord, how we all can be more wise in our relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, this week that you would help us to remember to fear you more. To experience those feelings of awe and reverence and respect when we see the wonders of your hand. But also, when we're tempted to sin, feel dread and terror of what you might do if we give in to that sin and punish us. God, help us to trust, to trust you more. Help us as a nation, Lord, to trust God more. Forgive us, Lord, when we have leaned on our own understandings in so many areas of our life and how we've even done that as a country of people. God, just teach us to trust to trust you in everything, to trust you fully. Teach us to be surrendered and not self-reliant, but surrendered to you daily. Oh God, help us to acknowledge you this week and include you in all our ways. Teach us, Lord, to fear us to trust you more. We pray these things in Jesus' name.